Well, hello, everybody. Uh, I accidentally coordinated with the lights. <laughs> you like it? Huh? Uh, no, I'm glad everyone is tuning in, especially to those of you online and, and watch it on TV, uh, wherever you are. We're going to finish a, what we call a series, but if, if you're like new to it, you're like, oh, I'm just, I'm just, this is my first go at this. Like, what do, don't, don't worry about it. Uh, in fact, I want to set the stage by taking you right to the Bible and taking you to a very specific place in the Bible, right into a story that I will explain and it will make sense. So let's just go straight to it. For those of you who like to be straight to the point. When Joshua, I'll explain that later, was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or foe? Now, I want to emphasize friend or foe, which I think now makes sense. It's called an election series. It's called an election season. It's, you may have already in this season, I don't know, I wonder if you've lost friends, um, had family denounce you, uh, Maybe things have changed relationship-wise or at least um, like internal peace-wise because you've been living in a setting where it feels like it's always friend or foe talk, like, like who's with you and who's not with you. So I did some studying because it feels like we have a lot more people going against us or that you're going against people. Maybe it's just social media. So I got into like, oh, I wonder like what kind of groupings we're putting around us even politically, huh? Let's talk that. Uh, so here's a number. I, I thought it was fascinating. According to a, a recent uh, Pew Research survey, 40% of, of us, don't kick yourself out of this, 40% of us do not have one single friend who votes or thinks differently than we do politically. 40%, so let me just, 40% of us, according to the survey, do not have like one, do not have a person <laughs> around us that we would call a friend that would likely or that you would knowingly know that they're going to vote differently or think differently than you were politically. Now then add to that, go more than one, I wonder where the survey went. Like, what if you have, well, I've got that one friend. Uh, you might even get up to maybe the majority, perhaps the majority of us live in a, uh, some would call it an echo chamber. Some would call it a bubble. Uh, some would call it just your sphere of friends. But we live in an environment right now that I think has this, this, are you on my side feel? And Frank, uh, the reason we did this series is because it feels like, like you and I are not only like voting for someone, but it's also who you're against. Does it feel that way to you? Like it's not just like, you know, this person has like my values, but it's anti-whatever, and, and you just pick it. I mean, you can choose. There's both sides. For those of you who think I'm talking about one particular one. It feels like the vibe is like, assemble your friends, go after your enemies, yay life. And I, uh, when Joshua 
is, uh, is standing in front of a guy with a sword. And the first thing that comes to his mind is, are you on my side? I feel that right now. Do you feel that? Like you walk into a room, you friend somebody on social media, are you on my side? Literally, we think about this and process this. And I want you to, I want you to like when, you, when you're in a room or a setting, do you believe that it has to be a room full of everyone on your side? Because if it does, you could be in quite a quandary. Um, so uh, I, I want to take you into this and give you context about, about Jericho. Because I read to you about Jericho and I, I read to you about, about Joshua bringing up, are you on my side? And uh, let me give you context. Joshua was in, was in fight mode. Uh, he was in like this, like, I'm ready to go amped up. Some of you have friends. Some of you are these people right now maybe even commenting online, stop it. Like you're in this fight mode, like aggressive, I'm going after this. And, and, and he was there, but, but let me tell you, you may have seen the movies. There was this group of people who, who were in slavery, got out of slavery, got freedom, then kind of made them wander around for a, quite some time. And, and, then, and then their leader dies and, and now they got a new leader, Joshua, and, and he's about to lead them into the land that God has promised them. It's, it's promises they've held onto. They've latched onto it for a long time. He's about to lead them into a land though that is not uh, easy. Like there are enemies there. It's not easy street. They're about to go into a land that God has promised them, but they have enemies there. They have people who they're going to have to fight against. So they have this miraculous moment going across the Jordan River. You should just read all this. It's really good. And then all of a sudden they get, they get through this and they're about to go and, and they're facing this land called Jericho, which let me tell you a little bit about Jericho. Considered like the most powerful military outpost of the Canaanites. This was not like Jericho full of people who um, just had no idea how to fight. No, these were the fighters. These, these were the notorious ones. So you've got a crew of people kind of in the plains of Jericho and, and kind of eating and sleeping and thinking about, like, we're supposed to take that group of people. So you've now got Joshua who's waking up, walking around, hanging out, and he sees a dude with a sword. <laughs> He's in fight mode. He's, he's thinking about how do we defeat Jericho? How do we win over Jericho? It's, I don't think he's thinking about the individuals in Jericho. It's like, I've got to win. We've got to win. This is what God wants. I know what God wants. And it's fight mode, fight mode. And so he encounters this guy. He says, like, are you on my side? So then we got to walk. And let me take you to the, to the scripture, uh, Joshua 5, uh, 14. Uh, the guy's answer is funny, but not funny to Joshua, funny to you and I, because we're not in that situation. But he's like, neither one. Like, hey, are you, are you, on, my, are you on, on the good side or the bad side? The answer is basically like, no. It's like, no, that doesn't, that doesn't answer my question. Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. Now, I got to stop here because sometimes when we don't understand something in the Bible, we're like, just keep reading. Pretend like you got it. I wonder what that meant, but who knows? Uh, I can tell you what most theologians have concluded who this is, because this will weird some of you out, okay? And some of you, you're, you're about to like, tune me out for the rest of the sermon, which I'm going to risk it, okay? Um, most theologians think this is Jesus. And you're, you're, you're like, wait a minute, no, I know Christmas is coming, and I know how Jesus <laughs> showed up, and 
Uh, and I get it. I get it. It, it is confusing. I, I admit to you that, that, that we don't have absolute certainty. I can't guarantee you. I could just know how Joshua responds to this person, this, this, this being. It, it indicates that it's not just an angel. Now, now, while you're wrestling with that and going, what in the world? Yeah, I'll just keep reading. Uh, at this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. Now, some, some uh, translations, you know, because his original language wasn't in English, and when they put it in English, but some translations talk about how he fell on his face worshiping. This is why most theologians would conclude that, that, that this, is, this is not just an angel because you, uh, it was against the law to just bow down and worship anybody other than God. So you're seeing like, that's how this begins to get plugged in. But, but notice his posture. This Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command. My, how things just changed. I'm at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? Don't miss, I mean, this is just a couple verses, right? But don't miss where we started. We started with, uh, whose team are you on? Are you on my team? And within, I feel like seconds, Joshua's on his face. Seconds. It's no longer about, are you on my team? It's like, I am on your team. I am so on your team. No more like, it's a major shift. Let me walk you a little bit further into this. Uh, he, commander of the Lord's army, replied, take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy. And look, look, and Joshua did as he was told. Joshua did as he was told. Joshua, the leader of a massive army. Uh, Joshua, who is like, who do you fight for? Starts off with the language, I'm fighting, I'm fighting, I'm fighting, I'm going after this. He's in essence bringing up a major word. Doesn't say it, but it brings it up. Who has your allegiance? That's what he leads with. Who has your allegiance? But then by the end of the conversation, not even the end of the conversation, he's on his face going, scrap where I, where I led. Scrap it. I don't, I don't even want your answer anymore. I am a full allegiance to you. Right now, unfortunately, an election season has you and I, whether you're going to vote or not, or already have or whatever, it brings up the topic of allegiance. Most candidates are asking for your allegiance. Uh, if you haven't got into those weeds, that's what they're, they're, they're asking for your allegiance. And most of us have been wrestling with, conflicted by, frustrated with this allegiance kind of whole, like consuming all of culture. If you don't know what allegiance means, I thought, let's go to the dictionary. Let's make sure we land on this. It's, it's, it's loyalty or commitment. This is what most candidates ask you for. And we could even go further. This is what a lot of your romantic relationships will ask you for. This is what, if you're in a class, a teacher will ask you to be very committed to that class. This is what families ask of the kids, like we're going to be committed to our values. This is what churches talk about. We all actually talk about this, just that the election season elevates it and makes it feel really, really toxic. But this is a big deal. In fact, here. Let me be bold for a second here. 
Allegiance is one of the most significant decisions we ever face in all of life. If you want to make a list of like the top probably three, five decisions you'll ever make in all of your life, they have to do with allegiance. I know some of you are like, no, I'm just trying to find out which school to go to or which job to take or where to move to. No, I'm telling you, allegiance is a bigger deal. It, allegiance is a big deal. It's why if you're ever in a court and they want you to tell the truth, a lot of times, they put your hand on a Bible or you put your hand on a Bible. Do you know what you're doing? You're, you're in essence saying, I'm, I'm committed to the truth of what's in this. I'm committed to a, a way of living. So this is vouching for my, like, I'm telling you the truth. It's a big deal. It's why if you ever go to a, a wedding ceremony, most people don't sit there and be like, yeah, this is no big deal. I don't know why everyone got all dressed up. No, it's like a huge deal. That if you ever get married, it's, it's supposed to be a, a huge deal. Because you are, you're declaring allegiance to another human being. It should be a big deal. Parenting, when you talk about raising kids, and if, I know some of us are like, I mean, parenting seems daunting, and it is a, it's a fulfilling role, but it's also, you have to talk about like training your kids, like what will they be committed to, and who will they be loyal to? I won't make you raise your hand, but I wonder if you've ever like, pledged allegiance to a, another person, you, you said, I'm gonna be loyal to you, committed to you, and it didn't go well? <laughs> Most of us were like, I, both, both hands. I got lots of examples. Can we use all of our fingers? Like, most of us have a, have a wound in our, in our lives that would be connected to some sort of allegiance. You ever had a leader fail you? <laughs> You ever had someone in your life that you said, I am loyal to you, I'm gonna walk with you, and it collapsed, and I'm telling you, allegiance is a big, big deal. And if you're not careful, here, we can pledge allegiance to the wrong things. I've got friends, um, I've got friends who actually believe, and this will out me, <laughs> I have friends who believe that all hope in the entire world is in who gets elected president. I know many people, based on just how, how their level of peace is, they're so stirred up because we think that we have the answer, and so we've placed allegiance in something that we think is going to guarantee or, or bring about some sort of joy, and it doesn't. Um. There's a, there's a music producer. Uh, he's a speaker, a pastor. I believe he does everything. Um, but uh, one of the things he's done and is known for is producing some of, some of uh, the most incredible worship music that we've actually ever sang. They, uh, they started an entire movement of changed music in churches, I, I would tell you, that of how we sang and the style of music that we sang. And so he's been around music like crazy, and he said something that I think fits here. I think that all music, not just Christian music, but all music is worship music. Some of you are formulating opinions, I get it, hold on. Because every song is amplifying the value of something. There's a, a trail of our time, our affections, our allegiance, our devotion, our money. That trail leads to a throne. And whatever is on that throne, 
is what we worship. Let me be just very vulnerable with you, okay? As a pastor, talking to God, and, and sometimes when, you, when I talk to you, a lot, most times when I talk to God, it's not, it's not like all of a sudden some cloud comes down into my office and says, say this, and it's written out for me. I'm like, what do we as a church talk about right before many of us go and, and fill in an oval or ovals and we begin to say, hey, this is a big deal to me, and we begin to walk away. I, want, I, want, I feel like we're supposed to talk about what happens afterwards and you, what you think that you just fixed everything. What if it doesn't? What if it doesn't get you that, that, that heart full of hope? I really think that's what allegiance is all about, is hope. I remember when I got married, uh, I'm, I was convinced that Katie would be my source of hope for the rest of my entire life. This would be absolutely amazing. And she probably thought the same. I mean, for sure thought the same. <clears throat> what I learned in marriage is it's one of the most fulfilling relationships I've ever had. But how dare I ever put that kind of pressure on another human being and say, you must give me my hope that I crave. I'm not telling you, I'm not trying to at least, tell you that voting and presidential stuff and politics has no value. I just want to issue a bit of a warning. Do you think it's a good source of hope? And I hope that you don't put all your hope in it. So I'll give you the answer. I'll out this. Uh, I think Jesus Christ is worth putting all your hope in. I know it sounds almost cliche, but, but I'm telling you, you got to know about Jesus. And many of us, I know, we're gathered like a church and tuned in in a way like, well, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, I'm cool with Jesus. Well, well, let me tell you an accurate view of Jesus. According to scripture, uh, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. This is not my words, just so we know this, right? He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. These are big words, okay? Like, think of it in context of a presidential election. You're like, yeah, this is a bigger deal, I think. For, for through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Oh, such as? Thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. He sounds pretty amazing. He will not fail you. Jesus is absolutely amazing, but many of us are going, I got it, but your version of Jesus might be skewed. So let's have fun. Let's have a little bit of fun here. I, there's an article. It's an old article that I read it. I kind of liked it, so I rewrote a little bit of it. I'm telling you that so you know that I didn't plagiarize, but I read this article and I thought it'd be worth our time to go after the different kinds of Jesuses that we might be putting our hope into that may not be an accurate Jesus. You, you track him? So, so here, here, let me just go through this and, and we'll list them. There's the therapist Jesus. Helps us cope with life's problems, heals our past, tells us how valuable we are and not to be so hard on ourselves. There's the barista Jesus, which doesn't sound too bad. Drinks fair trade coffee, not Folgers. 
loves spiritual conversations, drives a hybrid, and goes to film festivals. <laughs> I didn't write all this, so don't. There's the open-minded Jesus, loves everyone and holds nobody accountable for their decisions except for people who aren't as open-minded as they are. <laughs> Touchdown Jesus, I followed this Jesus in high school. Helps athletes run faster and, and jump higher than non-Christians and determines the outcomes of Super Bowls. My son's going to have his feelings hurt. I'm, uh, uh, hippie Jesus. Hippie Jesus teaches everyone to give peace a chance. Imagine a world without religion and helps us remember that all you need is love. Prosperity Jesus encourages us to reach for the stars. Name what you want and just claim it into reality. Spirituality Jesus, a wise inspirational teacher who hates religion, churches, pastors, and doctrine, believes in you and helps you find your center. Boyfriend Jesus, I've met some of these folks, uh, wraps his arms just around you as you sing about his intoxicating love, it's great, whatever. Some of you are so offended, it's great. Uh, <clears throat> and, then, and then probably, uh, I hear this one a lot, they don't say these words, but the, the good example Jesus shows you how to help people change the planet and become a better you. I want to bring something up. Perhaps the Jesus that you have put your hope into has brought you into a place of conflict at times because he didn't really come through. And sometimes the Jesus that we're hoping in is not even a real Jesus. So I'm going to tell you something harsh. I was taught this, so I'm going to pass it on, but I think this is relevant right now. Jesus is not a reflection of our mood or projection of our desires. This needs to sit for a second. Sometimes the Jesus that we form in our minds is not even the real Jesus. And so we begin to follow a Jesus that does not even exist. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ, the true Jesus. Is he took on the weight of the world. His life was not pretty. He did not come and say to everyone, uh, whatever you want to do, whoever you want to believe in, it doesn't really matter, just care about people. He said, I am the only way. There is no other way to God except through him. That does not seem very inclusive. Except the fact that he offers it to anyone. And then he took on all the weight of the pain and the pressures and let us as a human race literally like press in on him and say, we're going to kill you. We're going to shame you. We're going to make this absolutely horrific and horrible. And we did. Then he comes back to life and says, can't stop me there. Defies all of the rules that you and I have to follow. And he holds to everything he said. There is... Only one way, only one source of hope that is faithful always is him. So I'm not trying to hate on whatever your view of Jesus is, is I love you enough to make sure that you follow the right Jesus. He loves you so much. And no matter who is elected, I promise you this, no matter who is elected, the very next day, the same amount of hope that has been available for centuries still stays available for you and I to grab a hold of. 
But what Jesus says is, we can only show allegiance to one. And so he calls for our allegiance. So I thought, how do we end a series that flirts with election and voting and all of that? I think we look at, are, are we willing to give our allegiance to Jesus? Because I don't want your hope to ever be robbed. Ever. I want you to actually be able to encounter any good thing or bad thing, walking through going, I still have hope. Everything isn't about this life. Jesus is the biggest deal in my life. And so let's do this. Would you, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And just, I'm, the only reason I do that, not to make you more spiritual, but to give you focus. Even, even if you're at home right now, bow your heads, close your eyes. And if you're ready, maybe you've done this before. Maybe you never have. But if you want to, you can make a decision. Decisions are a big deal. Always have, always will be. You can pray these words if you want to or change the words, but just privately say this to God. God, I declare my allegiance to you. I get my hope from you. God, would you fill my life with your very presence? Would you wipe away all my sin, anything that goes against you, God? Would you wipe it out of my life? I declare loyalty and commitment to you. I depend upon you. God, I will walk with you. I will definitely lean on you. I depend on you. I need you. And I want you in every facet of my life. God, I bow before you and pledge my allegiance to you. Heavenly Father, I pray for us as a whole church, even those who don't even claim us as their church. Lord, may we be a place that speaks hope, lives hope, and serves the real you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.